0: Kids, here uh we're doing one more advent sermon okay uh i'm to tell y'all this is uh this happened not too long ago one may, one one morning payton wakes up Peyton, my 12 year old he wakes up and uh, first thing he asks me is could we have shipley's donuts just donut freak crazy for it uh and we'll say, yeah sure okay and then he says hey can we have shipley's jack's my 14 year old does not miss a beat without even looking at me. He says, Dad, go to Shipley's. And uh, why don't you go now? And Payton corrected Jax. Payton looked at Jax and reminded him, hey, you can't boss Dad around. Uh, Dad's in charge, not you. And then Jax looked at Payton and shook his head and corrected him and said, "Uh, Dad, I'll have a glazed donut, some donut holes, Sausage and cheese kolache if you could go now. Kids, question to y'all. Are you supposed to boss your mommy and daddy around? You can say it loud, yes or no. What do y'all think, yay or nay? No, that was good. That was the right answer. No, you're not supposed to. Okay, uh, do y'all know Peyton, my middle one, he's 12 years old, okay? Does Jesus Want? Uh, Does Jesus want you to boss your parents around, or does Jesus want you to listen to your parents? He wants you to listen to your parents. Okay. Here's the crazy thing: when y'all have seen Peyton running around here, right? Okay. When Jesus was Peyton's age, when Jesus was 12 years old, he was bossing his parents around. He's and he was not being mean about it. This is what we're going to read about today. He's not being mean about it. He's actually being super, super kind about it, about telling his parents what's up. But the big deal is, is that Jesus, when he's 12 years old, I mean, the next time you see Peyton, just imagine Jesus being Peyton's age, he he knew that he was both fully God and fully man when he's 12, that he knows he's a miracle baby what we celebrate at Christmas. He knows, what, he, knows what all, he knows what Christmas is all about. He knew that he came down from heaven, that he was born as this miracle baby. <clears throat> and when he's 12, he knows that he is there to live for us and to die for us. Okay, kids, what would you do? What would you do if you knew that you were God? What would you make your day-to-day life about? Anybody want to tell us? I'll tell you what I would do if I was 12 and I knew that I was God, I would, I would make every day about me and what I wanted to do uh, and all the cool stuff I could do. I'd probably just fly around and do all sorts of amazing stuff and help people here and there, but I wouldn't really make my life about me. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus was never confused about who he was or what he was supposed to do. And he lived and he died for us. And he knew he was going to do it even when he was a kid, even when he was becoming a man. All that Jesus could think about doing, knowing he was God, all he could think about was you, and your parents, and me, and saving us, doing what we can't do. So uh, that's what we're going to look about. Uh, that's what we're going to look at today. Here's this Jesus who was never confused about who he was, and he's still not confused today as he reigns in heaven about who he is and what he's doing for us. That means that we can trust him, even when things look really, really confusing. So for for Advent this year, what we've been doing uh, is looking at some of these stories that don't get as much attention as some of the super, super well-known Christmas stories, uh, but are just as awesome and super Christmassy. Uh, Christmas feels like it was years ago already, kind of thing, Uh, it's yesterday. Uh, We're gonna look at something that happened years after Christmas, when Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, young man. Please stand for the reading of uh, God's Word this morning. It comes from Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 39 through verse 52. When they, Jesus' parents, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you do not like mystery, Christianity, this faith thing, is going to frustrate you forever. Uh, you, you cannot flatten out this faith. It doesn't work. And every year at Christmas, we celebrate one of the big mysteries of the faith, the incarnation, God becoming man. How? How? How can Jesus be fully God and fully man? How can baby Jesus, little baby Jesus, be fully God and fully man? Someone, I can't remember who, but someone once put it this way. He said, how is it possible that at the very same time Mary was cradling baby Jesus in her arms, that that baby was cradling the whole world in his providence? That may be like a, a Christmas lyric. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how that's possible is mystery, And if you're a christian and you don't like mystery it is that princess bride wesley thing of get used to disappointment we don't know but jesus knows it sounds obvious to say that jesus would know how he is fully god and fully man but it does raise an interesting question of when like when did jesus know he was fully god and fully man when did jesus know who he was Like, did he know when he was a baby in Mary's arms? We want to—because here's the thing. We want to be really careful not to take away from his humanity. He is fully human. So, could he have known who he was as a baby before he could string together rational thoughts? Or, as soon as he was capable of rational thought, like, as a child, did God the Father give God the Son, little child Jesus, that knowledge of who he was? Or, or you know, was it a combination thing of did Mary tell Jesus more and more and more as he grows up like, hey, this is who you are. This is how this all happened. This is where you came from. Uh, you know, you're not the son of Joseph. An angel came to me, all that stuff. And then finally, Jesus had this, you know, day where he's like, <laughs> bam, hits me. I'm God, oh, I'm the Lord of life and everyone else's life. I, I don't know, because he's also fully God. Like, he, he's also fully God. So did he always know? I don't know. But we do know that by the time he's 12, he knew exactly who he was and what he came to do. And this is a big age in Jewish culture in the ancient Near East. When you turn from 12 to 13, you become a man in the eyes of society, in the eyes of the culture. So here's Jesus at the cusp of turning from childhood to adulthood. And he is fully aware. He is self-conscious that he is the God-man. Because it's Passover here. Here those three main Jewish festivals, festivals when all the Jews would travel up to Jerusalem. It's it's Passover. It's Pentecost. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. The highlight of those three was Passover. So they go to Jerusalem. They celebrate the Passover for a week, as is tradition. They start making their way home to Nazareth, and the first night they stop to camp, and they cannot find Jesus, little child, Jesus. And Jesus' mom has that horrible realization. They've lost Jesus. Every parent has lost their kid. We've all been there. Um, This isn't right. This is not as irresponsible as it sounds to us, uh, those of us who haven't lost our kids. Uh Back in the day, in the ancient Near East, the, they traveled in these caravans. You know, the, the Song of Ascent stuff, they're in the caravans going up to Jerusalem, they're in the caravans going back to their hometowns, uh, back to their villages. You traveled as a village. And normally what would happen is the older boys would travel up front with the men. Where it's most dangerous, you know, you're out, you're, you're making sure the, the road is clear, it's safe. Uh, so the men are up front, the older boys are up front, and the younger kids are in the back with uh, the wives, the women. Um, and that's how they would travel. Jesus is right at that, 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 that age, 12 to 13. He's right there at the cusp. So Joseph and Mary probably think, they're probably looking at each other that night saying, well, I thought he was with you. So Mary and Joseph lose Jesus and they freak out. Uh, they've already traveled one day away from Jerusalem. So, it takes another day to get back to Jerusalem, and then it takes another day searching all around Jerusalem to find Jesus. He's been missing three days. They finally find him at the temple, and he's alive, and he's okay, and he's just hanging out, talking to the rabbis and the teachers like nothing is wrong. And Mary goes to kid Jesus, and she says to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. This is Mary rebuking Jesus. As if to say, like, what are you doing? What were you thinking? Like, do you realize you have been missing for three, three days? You've been missing three days. Do you know how much you scared us? You, do you, like, were you even looking for us? Did you, like, did you even care that, that we were not with you? kind of thing. So disrespectful, so unthoughtful, so selfish of you to treat us like this. Um, This is supposed to be your big year. You know, here it comes. You're supposed to be acting like a man and you are not acting like a man. And, and then we, we, you know, we want to jump into the conversation. We want to be the fly on the wall that says, you know, yeah, Jesus, come on. Like, you're in the temple. You're talking up the rabbis. Y'all are talking about the law. What about that law of Moses stuff? What about that fifth commandment? Honor your mom and your dad, Jesus. Because if Jesus knew what he was doing, and he knew the kind of panic that this would cause his parents and Jesus is the son of God and he knows it and that means he's perfect and holy and never sinned how is Jesus not breaking the fifth commandment here here's the issue the issue is not that Jesus is in the temple or that he's talking to these teachers that's super normal at Passover at the festivals the rabbis would gather the kids around The rabbis would ask the kids questions. What do you know about the scriptures? What do you know about the law? And they would test the kids to see how much they knew, how much they were learning. The kids answer the questions. The kids do not ask the questions. And here come Jesus's parents and they find Jesus with these teacher. Jesus is answering their questions and then Jesus is asking some of his own. And the rabbis are sitting there saying, who is this kid? And they're not thinking, like, oh my goodness, this kid is God. They're thinking this kid is some kind of amazing kid prodigy. They're super impressed. Jesus' parents, not so impressed. They're scared, they're hurt. So Mary rebukes Jesus, and Jesus responds. Before we get to Jesus' response, just pause for a second to take this in. What Jesus says here in his response to Mary, these are Jesus's first recorded words in Scripture. Like, we give special attention to Jesus's first miracle. We give special attention to his first parable. We, we, I think we should also give special attention to Jesus's first recorded words in Scripture. Mary rebukes Jesus, uh, and there's definitely something to Mary leading with, your father your father and I have been searching everywhere for you, worried out of our minds. And Jesus responds with, oh, I've been with my father. Jesus says, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? What he literally says is, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? It, it, about my father, which is why the King James Version translates it, my father's business business. So Jesus here is challenging Mary and Joseph that it's true they are his earthly parents, not, not Joseph by blood, but legally they're both his parents, but he has a father in heaven to whom he is even closer to, who is a greater authority than Mary and Joseph were to him. And that's super shocking for a bunch of reasons. Like what we don't find shock, what we, do, we read this and we've read it a lot, we've heard it a lot, we've heard this instance a lot. What we don't find shocking is the most shocking part that Jesus calls God his father. This is one of those gigantic impacts of Christianity that it's had on the world without the world recognize it, recognizing it or knowing it. It is so commonplace now to call God father. Y'all know how many times in the Old Testament people called God Father? Zero. Never. This is a revelation of God as Father, which we love and we are so thankful for, but it's Jesus who reveals it to us. He says, Mom, Dad, I know you've got a problem with what I'm doing. I, I get that, but I have a higher, a, a higher authority than you, and I've got to be about Him who is my Father. So imagine I tell my kids to go outside and play. Y'all get out of the house, get off the devices, go, go outside and go play. And then two minutes later, a policeman drives by and he tells my kids to go back inside because there's a crazy man on the loose. Uh, what, who should my kids listen to? Officer, you're not my dad. And my dad told me to come outside and play. I got like, no. I actually want my kids to listen to the officer at that point who is superseding, overruling my authority. And there are those instances where parental authority is overruled in a good way. Uh, and and it's not just that Jesus is challenging his mom and dad with, God is my authority, not y'all. You're not my dad, Joseph. You know, it's not, it's not that. My kids try this thing at home Uh, when I I tell them to do something and and they say, why, you know, why, why, why? And I say, do it, do it. And then finally it's just like, because I'm your dad and I'm asking you to do this, go do this. And they come back with, listen, Jesus is in charge of me, dad, not you. It's not, that's not, that's not what Jesus is doing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there is a higher authority than Mary and Joseph as he reveals that God is his father and he reveals himself to be the divine, unique son of God. It's not just that God the Father uh, who has greater authority than Mary and Joseph. It's Jesus, like Jesus himself does. Jesus, kid Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus has greater authority than his earthly mom and dad, because he is the unique divine son of God. I, I heard this somewhere before, I can't remember where I heard this, but that Hollywood, this is true, Hollywood does not like to portray their protagonists as, as the kind of hero who is assured of who they are and what they got to do. That doesn't sell. They, they don't like heroes who are not conflicted heroes because the audience cannot relate to that kind of hero. So, indulge me. Two seconds. J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, hero in The Lord of the Rings. In his books, Aragorn. In the books, uh, this is the way Tolkien wrote Aragorn. Aragorn knows he is the promised king. He knows who he is. He knows what he has to do, and he never apologizes for it. He is never in doubt about it. He is never torn on the inside. should I be king? No, in the books, he knows exactly who he is and what he's got to do. And in the movies, Viggo Mortensen, Aragorn, is this brooding, doubting, conflicted, reluctant hero. Hollywood does this with all their heroes. They've done this with iconic heroes like Superman and Wonder Woman, Henry Cavill, Superman, and Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. They have to have these self-actualizing moments and arcs, and they have to have, like, every movie that they're in. They have to have another one. And, like, Hollywood does this with all their, like, all of them. All their heroes. This is is what Hollywood does. They even do this with—Hollywood even does this with Jesus. in their their adaptations, all their adaptations about him. The temptation of Christ, Jesus Christ superstar, you know, all that with Jesus is, he's struggling. He's wondering, oh, is that who I am? I just don't know, you know, and that's, don't come back for our Bible scholars here who, you know, that's not what's going on in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Uh, There Jesus is not in doubt. There Jesus is in suffering as he is already already starting to taste the cup of God's wrath right there in the garden. Here is 12-year-old Bible Jesus saying, yeah, that's who I am. Do you know who I am? And it's not just that Jesus is aware of who he is. He is also aware of what he came to do. This is the only account we have of Jesus in the Bible where he's not a baby, and he's not a man. He's a 12-year-old kid, almost a teenager Jesus. He's middle school. He's middle school Jesus. All four gospel writers are incredibly selective about what they include in their gospels. They, don't, they, they do not have everything Jesus ever said and did. John, Gospel of John at the very end says, if we did, we would not have enough books in the world to contain all the awesomeness that Jesus said and did. Okay, so they're super selective. Why is this here in the Gospels? And it's because of what the Gospels are. The Gospels are—they're not just biography. They are about the life of the mediator who mediates God's covenant to his people— and the real focus of the gospel specifically is the establishment of the covenant between God and his people. How it's, it's about the mediator putting the covenant into effect. The gospels are selective in the sense of they're interested in the life of the covenant mediator to the extent that it relates to this mediator inaugurating the covenant. So this is here because it is about Jesus, middle school Jesus, putting the new covenant into effect. He's doing it even here. When he says he's gotta be about what his father is about, is to say he has work to do. And he knows it. He's on a mission. And as he is moving from boyhood to manhood, he's saying that he understands what his mission is in theology, uh, you know, in that school of covenant theology, what we call this, his work, what he came to do, who he is, we call it his covenant of redemption. Or, Or we call it God the Father's covenant of works with God the Son that makes it possible for Jesus to turn to us with the covenant of grace. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, right here. He is voluntarily and willingly obeying God the Father according to the work that that we later learn God the Father had given God the Son to do. That the Son would have to be born into this world and live a life of obedience that all of us should live and we don't. And then die and suffer the condemnation that we deserve For our disobedience, he would suffer that in our place. That's the work that the Father gave the Son to do. And in that day, most of the Jews believed uh, that their Savior, Messiah, they believed that he would come as this military person, as this military Messiah to do what? To defeat their oppressors, to defeat the Romans. So here's an objection to all of this. It says, do you know how many messiahs, how many messiahs were around in the first century? You know how many people were running around chasing all these messiahs? There were tons. So sorry, there's nothing special about Jesus, except he was just one of many who claimed to be the messiah. Legitimate objection to which we respond that actually does not discredit Christianity, it only confirms it. The old, because the Old Testament is so specific about when the Messiah would come, that it's at this time, that it is right now at this time. So of course everyone is expecting the Messiah, which is why you, exactly why you had so many imposters and so many self-deluded people trying to capitalize on people's expectations. Right after our passage, right after this, some, some of the people think that John the Baptist is the Messiah, and he denies it outright. There were, and there were plenty of others. There are plenty of others that took that title of Messiah on themselves. The first century Jewish historian, Josephus, he writes about a guy named Thutis, who claimed to be the Messiah and got himself killed by the Romans. You can read about Judas, The Galilean in Acts chapter 5 who claimed to be the Messiah and he got himself killed. There's an Egyptian prophet around the first century claiming to be the Christ and he actually gained 30,000 followers and he said he was going to bring down the walls of Jerusalem like Jericho and then the Romans killed him and all of his followers and there were others all military And with all these military pretenders that have come before him trying to steal his thunder, here is kid Jesus, the God-man, and he's not doing anything military. He's teaching the word of God. And here are the religious experts, and they don't know what to do with him. They don't know what to make of this kid. And Mary, Mary who knows this kid better than anyone who knows Jesus in and out uh, better than any other living human being, doesn't know what to make of her kid. So what does that tell us? That tells us uh, that Jesus is confusing to those who don't know him, and he's confusing to those who know him really, really well. That spectrum covers all of us. have ever lived. His parents don't understand how Jesus could treat them like this, and Jesus says, I had to. It was necessary. And one of the things that we've got to wrestle with and confront is that as people who love and know Jesus, Jesus will regularly, he will routinely confuse you. And he will confuse your expectations for how he should behave for how he should work in your life, for how he is treating you. And we will, we will have those seasons of, Jesus, I know you, and Jesus, I love you, and how can you treat me like this? And then Jesus does not tell you why. And this here tells us that Jesus knows what he's doing, and he knows he knows what he's doing, and he doesn't tell us exactly what or why he's doing what he's doing. But like he, like he says here to Mary, who is confused and who is hurt, he says, there is a plan. And And here's the good news. As much as we don't see it, there actually is a sneak peek here, a big one. There's big foreshadowing with Mary right here. There's big foreshadowing with Mary who is suffering because she has lost her son, okay? But her real loss is actually coming when she loses her son on the cross. If you all remember, two days ago, DJ read that passage uh, from just a little earlier, the passage right before this one where this Simeon prophet guy in the temple says, A sword is going to pierce your heart, Mary. This is not that sword. This is not that sword piercing Mary's heart. That is to come. But here is a foreshadowing of it. When her son, here in Luke chapter 2, when her son is still a child, she is beginning to suffer because her son is already about his heavenly father's work. And that will culminate one day when she loses him to hell itself on that cross. And it's not just the death of Jesus that's foreshadowed here. Think about this. How long, how long did Mary look for her son? Three days. And then she got him back. She would lose him to the cross, but in three days, she's going to find him again. Luke is preparing us for what Jesus already knew, that Jesus came to live for us and to die for us. I mean, again, just to wrap your mind around, can you imagine Jesus is 12 and he knows that he was born to take ultimate suffering for his people? Jesus at 12 12 years old already knows that someone needs to obey in your place. This is why he goes home with his parents and sub- submits to them as his parents to fulfill the law, to fulfill that fifth commandment. That is, that is not what a 12-year-old thinks about except Jesus who is 12. He's already thinking about your salvation. And Jesus at 12 Is the he is the Passover? This is during Passover. He is at that. He knows that he is the true Passover. He is the Passover Lamb. He already knew that you and me and God's people would need a sacrifice better than the Lamb. That we would need a sacrifice to cover our sins truly, which means right here in Jerusalem when he's beginning to reveal to others his work that he came to do, he knew he would return to this place, to Jerusalem, to finish that work on the cross. Jesus knows all this, and even though Mary is confused and hurt, one day it all became clear to her that Jesus, the Son of God, was loving her and saving her even here. And before it all became clear to her, even in her confusion, it says that she went home and she treasured all that Jesus was doing for her. We here, y'all, we have His life. We have the cross. We've got His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, and we have Him right. We really do, truly have Him right now. I mean, and 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 we have this like we are. say the least, we are confused. Like, what has happened in the past few weeks? Like, the past couple years? What is, like, what is happening right now? I would say that we are wading through a swamp of confusion that feels like it comes up to our necks, It feels like, for some of us, it feels like it has totally just come over our heads and overwhelmed us. I have felt that for our church. I have felt that for my family, my friends. I am feeling that right now for one of my best friends. And I, I can be confused and hurt and angry and sad I can look at the cross and believe that Jesus has done what I cannot do, that he has saved us And, and believe that right now he does love us and so we we can believe that and because we believe that we can treasure him and we can treasure all that he has said and all that he has done And all that he is doing. And all that he will do when he comes again. And he is coming again. And so we can be confused right now. And we can keep following him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the revelation that he is our Lord and Savior. God become man to do for us what we can't do. And we marvel at the mystery of the incarnation. We marvel at the awesomeness of this salvation. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that you have given us faith in it. We pray that you would keep us in that faith today and tomorrow and the next day. And we pray that you would bless us to hold out that same grace that we have in Jesus, that we would hold it out patiently and lovingly and wisely to ourselves and to each other, to our brothers and sisters who know this grace and who are in deep suffering and incredible pain and confusion right now. We pray that you would bless us to hold out that gospel of grace lovingly, patiently, wisely to those who don't know it in order that they would have this same salvation that we have in Christ, in order that they would share our hope. We pray, give us that hope again today. Sustain us today with your grace. We pray that it would prove sufficient today, and then again tomorrow when we make up, and the next day, and the next day, until you come again, or until you call us home. We pray this in Christ's name, knowing that you'll do it. Amen.